Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract, today in the house. Well, quite frankly, he's just known as Electric Bill. We could just mic drop there and we'll finish it off. But we'll do a bio, Bill, and then uh, we'll get into some of my questions for you. Thanks for being here. Uh, Bill Williams is on a mission to shock us out of our static routines, known for his unique brand of electrified methodologies for the workplace. Bill's honest, succinct, and enthusiastic approach to leadership has inspired and reshaped countless national and international organizations over the span of 30 years. Whether coaching an individual over Zoom or speaking to rooms of more than a thousand delegates, Bill's impact is equally felt. His power comes from hearing no and reformulating it as, well, not yet. Bill is the principal and president of the boutique leadership development firm, the B4 Group, and the host and brand ambassador for the Art of Leadership Summit and the Art of Leadership for women. Bill caters his solution-based strategies to individuals and corporations in the private public, public sorry, and the not-for-profit sectors. His latest book is Electric Life, 12 Micro Steps to Pay Attention, Be Brilliant, and Go Deep. Electric, Bill, so good to have you here on an electric episode of Leadership Now. Let's start first with a question for you, um, which is asked by many on occasion when they meet you or they continue to meet you over the years. How do you always have so much energy? Let's just start there with a personal question, Bill. Oh, well, Dan, thank you so much for having me on this episode. I'm thrilled to be here. How do I always have so much energy? It really came down to sitting back and actually analyzing it, which is something that I'm not typically uh, an individual that would analyze things, especially my own energy level. It is, you know, common for me. This is this is my everyday life. And it was that distinction that people noticed it. So I really had to sit back and take a look. So the first part is really just about paying attention, which is self-awareness and realizing that I was distinct and different than other people and really uh, paying attention to that emotional intelligence. The second uh, part was really being brilliant, which is something I've believed in forever. I believe in your brilliance. I'm here to help you build your best. So brilliance was important to me. And brilliance was about how do I charge my battery every day and make sure that at the end of the day, I have even more energy than I arrived with, which is one of the goals of the book. And then finally, going deep is, how, again, how I, I keep the energy up all day long. It's about making an impact, not only on my team, but actually on the business as well. So that every day, I can walk away and I can go win and walk on. So there's a quick overview. Okay. I love it. Well, you, you can't spell brilliance without the word bill. So that goes without saying. So well done. The flip side though, those people that aren't named Bill G. Williams or electric bill, how does not having, you know, energy or perhaps even enough energy in certain situations uh, harm or hinder or create kind of unfavorable situations for you in work and or life? Well, and and Dan, I thank you for that question. But but the thing is, it's not about me; it's about them, and ah. and that's the difference that I want to make. I really want to be of service, if you will. And so, when I do the math, we all only have twenty four hours in the day. So whether you're a cubicle warrior, uh, whether you're working in a warehouse, all the way up to the president of a company, we all democratically only get twenty four hours in a day. When we pay attention to our doctors, which is something that I'm really doing now as I'm about to turn 60 in a couple of days, uh, eight hours of sleep is the ultimate goal, seven to eight hours sleep a night. How many people are actually getting good sleep? Studies are indicating not that many. 
Now, the next thing is eight hours of work. So if you're working virtually, great. You may be able to log in and just do the eight hours. But if you're working in that warehouse, you can't work from home. You've got to commute to get there. You've got to do your day. You've got to commute home. So we're spending more than eight hours a day at work. That only leaves eight hours left to live our lives. And if by the time we finish work, we have no energy left to live our lives, why are we doing what we're doing? So in the book, I just simply wanted to add another perspective because, you know, Dan, I love you, man. And, and you and I share many, many similar thoughts. But if you and I have the exact same thought, one of us is not necessary. So I wanted to give, <laughs> it's true though, right? Is that I wanted to give a different perspective for people just simply to consider, I'm not saying I'm right. This is how I've lived my life. This is how I live my electric life. And I want people to amp up their voltage. I, I want them to have a more exciting and sustained life. I want it to be renewable energy, if you will. So it's not something that you have to go and plug in. It, you can create it yourself. But for me, a lot of times, it's just simply them learning a different perspective. Uh, actually, the, the, the micro step there is called practice positivity. And it's pausing a situation, rewinding it. We're also self-absorbed. It's natural. It just is. I love the world the way that I love the world. But when we can actually learn a different perspective, it might not drain our energy so much. So okay. Okay. I, I, I don't know that I answered your question though. So the, the, the quick answer to your to your question is that you know, managers are going to sleep every night and worrying about, I don't have enough people to do the work anymore. And how mm -hmm. am I going to get this work done? And when we don't pull together with the energy to get it done, that means there's more work for everybody else. So I want people to have the energy to do a great job and live their lives full of electricity. Which is really a nice segue to one of the things I wanted to, to touch on with you. And that is kind of where we're at as we record this in sort of the first quarter of 2023, you know, uh, literally, as we record today, it is the third year anniversary of the famous Friday the 13th, 2020, from a pandemic that was emerged um, from some sort of coronavirus. I think you might have heard of it. I'm asking you, Bill, like, where are we at from a leader's perspective of having to uphold the energy because they do serve others, i.e. their team and prob probably other stakeholders and constituents, either in the organization or possibly outside with suppliers, partners, clients, and customers, of course. Is there a distinction, do you see, and kind of in your work between the energy required for said leader, particularly uh, three years on from a pandemic, versus maybe what's needed within an individual contributor uh, individual like role itself? Like, is there, or is it just a baseline that says, no, here's where we start, and there are some nuanced differences? I don't know that there's a distinction in the different energy levels needed. I think, you know, again, as we're all human beings, I, I, I've been in human resources most all of my career, over 35 years now. And, you know, when I look at it, we have hierarchical organizational charts. And I, I like to, there's this great book called Flat Army. You may have heard of it. <laughs> and, and I just want to, you know, just bring it all down because we're all just simply human beings. Now, there's another book that the third title in it is Care. What's the title of that book again? <laughs> You're too much. Come on now. This is about you, so, not me. <laughs> but, but no, but the, the point being is that I, I think we do care. I think we all care. The problem is we're caring about the wrong thing. Mm. And businesses and that hierarchical structure has forced managers to care about results. 
And, and they should, they need to get the results, but they need to remember that how they get the results is through their people. And so when we care about the people first, the results will take care of themselves, in my humble opinion. I've always loved you. That's a perfect answer. It segues really nicely. You've got some some zippers in the in the in the book itself. They just they unzip into this beautiful language and, and lexicon that you're introducing to the reader. One of them is you refer to it as quote the energy to live. What is that? Because I think it's poetic and it's just four short little words, but together it seems to unpack itself into a huge uh, punch. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, the distinction of living versus surviving versus just getting through life. I want you to live your life. I want you to, to go out and be passionate about doing what you're doing. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, I'm noticing more and more is there seems to be less and less passion that I observe in people. And, you know, if you happen to be in a business development role, all you need to be is passionate about your product. And as soon as you're passionate about your product, sales will automatically happen. If you don't give a damn, if you don't care, if you're not passionate about your product, no one is going to buy it. I don't care how great your sales skills are. They're not going to buy it if you're not passionate about the product. Mm. Okay. Well, so you're in a reflective moment for a second here. Let me put that into your into your head. Um, for those that are just listening, if uh, you're wondering and not watching, Bill says he's turning 60. It looks like he's turning 40, by the way. But his 30-plus year career has seen him work at places like Amex and Kojiko and ADP and Franklin Covey. And so my question to you is a little bit more expansive than the comment I just asked you about with the reflection on the pandemic the last three years. And that is, based on your kind of body of work from 30-plus years ago and still working, obviously, closely with people in culture, HR teams, and other leaders – what changes have you noticed between maybe where we were as human beings, people, leaders, et cetera, and our and our levels of energy and where we are kind of like these days? Have you seen a discernible difference of pros and cons that we might glean from your experience? Well, I, I think the, and again, the energy is a really hard thing to, to measure, right? Because yeah. what's normal for you, what's normal for me, very different. And, you know, even as we look at our focus on mental health, we're trying to not use the word normal in a comparative state. Right. Well, and so I think that, you know, before COVID, we had a circumstance in a situation whereby we were working the hours we worked. We had the heck of a commute to deal with. And then we got home and we were exhausted. Then COVID came along and all of a sudden it was like, you know, all dependent. You may not have had a job at all because again, the warehouse worker could not go in. We were, unless you're an essential worker, you were not going in grocery stores, uh, pharmacies were the only things that were really open. Mm -hmm. So we were at home. And I, you know, with that, Dan, I, I, I think that, you know, at the very beginning of COVID, I said, not everyone's going to get physically ill. <laughs> Most, almost everybody did, but but not everybody was going to get physically ill and certainly to the point of death, uh, although we did lose many people. But I think that everybody was going to suffer from some form of a mental health challenge, mm -hmm. whether it's anxiety, stress, whatever. So as soon as we went for that, remember the two-week shutdown we were going to do? It was just oh, yeah. The just longest two weeks. two weeks of my life, Bill. Exactly. <laughs> the two years later, uh, three years later now, in that, uh, for that first phase, I think for a while, people just didn't know what to do. Uh, I think energy really shifted as well, because you may have had a family or a life partner that, that you kind of went, oh, now that I spend this much time with you, I don't even like you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I may still love you, but I don't even like you anymore now that I'm spending all this time with you. And so I think energy levels really changed. And that's when people started to sort of perk up and go, what is happening for me? And, you know, if you will, a positive outcome for me of this is that we're beginning just on the very beginning stages right now of ending the stigma around mental health, Mm. because we're realizing that, you know, anxiety, depression, stress are all things that we all have to live with, and they definitely impact our energy. And so I think people are now beginning to look for ways to how do they build their own energy. And, And that's where I hope the book can be of service. Oh, it's definitely of service. In fact, you you highlight a, a really touching story, um, kind of a third of the way into the book, I would say, and that's the fact that you were uh, married to a woman for seven years, got married relatively young, I think 20 and 19, the two of you were, uh, divorced, uh, identified then as publicly as a, as a gay man, visited a therapist in Vancouver, whom really provided you with some fundamental advice, and that is fine isn't a feeling, Bill. And I thought it was just profound. So the question really for you is not necessarily like taking us back, although you can if you want, sort of the, the personal experience of going through that, but it's really if fine isn't a feeling, uh, which I agree with, how do feelings then help or hinder you know, our sense of self as we're waving through both work and life? Dan, it's, this is, this is a brilliant question. And and the reason, again, it's brilliant was that, and connecting it back to the last sort of two questions, if you will, when she asked me how I was, and I said, fine. And she said, but no, Bill, really, how are you? And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, why are you asking me the question again? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's what I like had a, to, it was like, it's not like it was a perfunctory. I'm fine. You know, like yeah. move on. Well, I wasn't fine. I was numb. Uh, I was absolutely numb. Like, like that, you know, this, the woman that I married was an amazing woman is an amazing woman. Um, and, so it, it didn't have anything to do with that. It didn't have anything to do with my sexuality either. Our, our relationship ended um, a part of the progressions of life. And quite frankly, we were so mature before we got married. Uh, we actually said, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? And I said, 10 years from now, we're going to be very different people. We may not be together. Do we still want to go ahead with this? Oh, wow. Said, yeah, we do. We do. Like we were that mature for 19 and 20 year old kids back in the 80s. But what I'm trying to say now is that I think numb is something that many people have been living. And again, we didn't realize how we were feeling. And so not, you know, Daniel Goleman, I've had the, the pleasure of working with him in the past. And, and you know, he shares with us the concepts of emotional intelligence. And, and as brilliant as all of his work is, for me, with, with my common people, I just want to bring it down to three steps. And step number one is how are you feeling right now? And, and if you can't go and Google an emotions wheel and, and see the emotions in the center of the emotions wheel, fine is not listed there. Fine is not a feeling. Happy, sad, glad, mad, angry. How are you feeling? If you can't tell me that, hell, just give me, is it a thumbs up day or a thumbs down day for you? How are you feeling right now? Thumbs up or thumbs down? That's it. That's all, Dan. That's step one. Step number two is how much of that are you feeling? So, you know, if okay is the baseline or the center line and moving up from there from okay, okay, we'll allow you to use fine. Why mm-hmm. not? Because it's a common word that we all use, you know, when, hey, Dan, how are you? I'm fine. And you just keep jogging on. So are you okay? Are you fine? Are you good? Are you great? Are you woohoo running up down the halls, high-fiving people? 
If it's a thumbs down day, are you okay? Are you fine? Do you hear the difference between yeah, a thumbs yeah, up fine yeah. and a thumbs down fine? You know whether or not to poke at that or not. Uh, is it bad? Is it brutal? Do you need to go take a kickboxing class right now because your day's been that bad? So, so again, step one, thumbs up, thumbs down. Step two, how much of it? But here's the bigger thing, Dan. When you walk through the door at the end of the day, you've got kids. Uh, maybe if you don't have kids, maybe you just got a fur baby. Those people are excited to see you. And so the bigger question for me is what's the impact you have on other people when you're feeling that emotion to that degree? And if you can literally cut the tension with a knife, you've just met two people that are not very emotionally intelligent. So for fine is not a feeling. It's about, you know, I want to shock you out of your static daily routines and wake up. How are you feeling? This precious life is way too short and we should be having amazing days, not okay days, not fine days. Um, you know, here's the other thing I'll say about this, Dan, is that it may sound strange, but I am so grateful for my bad days. Mm. And because without my bad days, my good days aren't good days. And without good days, my exceptional days, my amazing days, my incredible days, like today, right now on this call, wouldn't be happening either. So uh, I'm grateful for bad. I'm, I'm good with good. And, and I love exceptional days. Get out of numb. Live your life. I know that you, you've always wanted to work for Disney, but maybe you should work for Pixar because you could like... <laughs> The follow-up to some of their movies, you could just be right into some of the emotions and feelings that have to happen in the sequels. Okay, so um, Bill, I'm I'm in the I'm a masochist first of all because I'm in the uh, structural editing phase of yet another book that the world doesn't need. Uh, and however, that being said, uh, you asked a rather poignant question in your book. And it is, which relates back to just what we were talking about, and that is what breathes life into you at work? It's sort of this rhetorical question that you then unpack, and it's just brilliant. What breathes life into you at work? And so I wanted to know what is at the heart of that question, ultimately, as you're existentially asking the reader uh, to think about what is really mattering to them? Yeah, well... Again, I'm very privileged, uh, very privileged in everything that I've done in my life. However, um, over and above that, you know, any job that I got, whether <laughs> let me take you back to when I was 15 years old, uh, after my paper wrote, my first job was at McDonald's. And I'll always remember um, one evening, it was close to close time. And these two guys came in, they were probably around 25. And I was 15. So 10 years older, you know, really probably admired, you know, that, you know, these guys were coming in, they ordered quarter pounders. And I decided even working at McDonald's, this is really just coming back to passion for me, yeah. is why did you get into the, the job you got into? And when you first got hired, you were probably really excited about that job. But over time, that begins to drift down. And so I decided with these two guys, I was going to make the absolute perfect, like as if it was a TV commercial quarter pounder. <laughs> and I did. And they were served. And here's the shock, though, Dan. Here's what happened. Here's the payback. These two guys went to my manager and they complimented the chef. <laughs> wow. That would have been me on making a freaking <laughs> quarter pounder. Uh, one was with and one was without cheese. And so, you know, what breathes life into you is a, a, such an important question for me, because I want to know why did you stop start doing this job? 
you know, every now and then something's going to come along and, and someone's going to blow your candle out. But as, you know, Albert Schweitzer shares with us, you know, at some point in our lives, somebody rekindles that flame. And for that person, we should be grateful. So why did you get into what you're doing? And what's the difference you're making? Why did I get into working at McDonald's? And what was the difference I was making? Somebody actually came to compliment the chef. Are you kidding me at McDonald's? Like, I will take that. I will take that. Uh, and then think about it, whatever else it is that you might be doing with your life. What breathes life into you? Now, the reason that's important, Dan, and really to tie this back, is that the, the question I, I ask people all the time is, what does the word inspire mean? Hmm. And most people cannot answer that question for me, academically, theoretically, whatever way you want to look at it. They can tell me about an inspirational song or a poem or a book or a movie, but they can't define the word inspire. And it simply means to breathe life into people. Inspire is simply in versus out. Inspire is breath in Latin, right? So, and even when we're stressed to the absolute max, Four by four breathing, four second breathing in, four second holding it, four second breath out, four second holding it out. That breathing will, will calm you. It will ground you. Uh, if you really want to get fancy, you can alternate the nostril breathing. This, this is what uh, Hillary Clinton claimed to, you know, sort of helped her get through after Donald Trump won. Um, alternative nostril breathing cannot cure Donald Trump, but, but it, it can make a difference for people. So what breathes life into you? Can you remember that? Can you be inspired by something? What is that? And how will that make a difference for you? Oh, I love that. I really do. And again, it segues to another, I mean, the book is segue after segue <laughs> with your 12 uh, kind of steps, components, tactics, you know, lovely traits and attributes. But you then advocate uh, that work and life ought to be fun. Yes. So, What's the relationship between breathing life into you at work, um, your energy, and our sense of really uh, meaning and fulfillment, Bill? Wow. You know, the, the, the newest generation is really purpose-driven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I was born in 63, um, you know, baby boom up to 65. And, you know, we did it for loyalty, if you will. Mm. We, we were going for a gold watch. Right. Um, but but the thing still is, what's what's the purpose we're here to fulfill? And, and for me, it really comes back to you know in the book I I write about an African greeting, Salbona. Yeah, which means, I see you. Therefore, you exist. You are seen and heard. For me, when I was working at Kojiko within the the team, one of the initiatives that my team came up with they they created this was how do we make our customers feel SVI? We called it, which meant for special, valued, and important. Mm -hmm. And so I want everyone on my team to know that they are special, which means simply that they are unique. Each and every one of us is different. And when we start to treat people exactly the same, we may think that that's fair. It's not because every one of us is different. My mother, Alice Margaret Foster Williams, bless her, bless her, bless her. Uh, she said, Billy, you know, always do unto others as you'd have done unto you. And that's the golden rule. And for 45 years of my life, I believe that that was respect. And I didn't realize then that the golden rule is actually the most disrespectful thing we can ever do. Because Dan, that presumes that you want to be treated the exact same way I want to be treated. And I want to live in Toronto. So why aren't you my neighbor, dude? Where are you living? Yeah. 
you're the other side of the country, you know, like you choose to live on the West coast. And so I elevated to the platinum rule do unto others as they'd have done to them. But that means that everyone's unique. And so I need to um, get familiar with those uniquenesses. Valued, uh, sorry, uh, special valued and important. Valued is, is just that I appreciate you. And so I challenge, this is leadership now. Leaders eliminate the word thank you from your <laughs> vocabulary, which sounds strange, Dan, I'm sure to you. It's like, what do you mean stop thanking people? Yes, stop thanking people. I have worked for managers that literally, you've had Tom Peters, remember when he had management by walking around and literally one of my managers had on the 15th of every month, just walk around and thank everybody. Thanks whoever you are for whatever you do around here. I don't know who you are and I don't know what you do around here, but I just wanted to thank you because it was diarized. I'm supposed to do that. So I challenge leaders to eliminate thank you because it's a complete thought. You can buy a greeting card that says, thank you, replace it with, I appreciate. And Dan, I appreciate is not a complete thought. And so I need to add that specificity to it. What is it about you that I appreciate? So special, unique, valued, meaning that, you know, I appreciate you and important, meaning that you are seen and heard. And as leaders, that's our number one responsibility is to create a safe space for people to be able to share their ideas. They're brilliant to challenge my ideas because I'm not right all the time. Challenge somebody else's ideas. Are we really doing what's in the highest for this organization right now? So think about people from that perspective. Are they special? Are they valued? And are they important to you? Gosh, that's good. Uh, I could go on forever with you, but I've got two more lines of questioning I want to get into, and then we'll find out where we can find out more about you, Bill. Sure. Uh, the first is, uh, speaking about acronyms, uh, you introduced me to one that I had not heard of before, uh, which was RJF, the yes. resting jerk phase. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. And you describe it as, you know, you being on stage and seeing a row, uh, the front row, I suppose, and there's a few people there that had varying degrees of disconcerting looks on their face. I've never heard of it before. So tell me about its significance and, and how it plays a part in either the electric life or the unelectric life, if you will. <laughs> well, really, it comes back to living that numb lifestyle, if you will. Uh, and especially when we're on those Zoom calls right now, you know, again, because so many people still want to work from anywhere, there's a cruise ship, $30,000 for the year. And you can go around the world on a cruise ship working remotely from anywhere in the world. We get on these Zoom calls and we forget to tell our face we're happy. Mm. And when that happens, <laughs> we have, and we suffer from resting jerk face, but that's not the point. The point is, Dan, when you have resting jerk face, no disrespect, man, but you come across as unapproachable. Right, yeah. You might look actually angry. If you don't smile, you might actually look angry, which means people are going to actually run away from you rather than approach you. So if we want to make a difference and we want to you know, really contribute at work, we need to be approachable. Now, now RJF, resting jerk face, is actually a replacement. Um, I, I actually heard this term before, uh, and it started off as RBF, uh, which actually stood for resting, not, not a witch, replace that. Uh, with okay. And so I wanted it to be gender neutral as a member of the LGBT plus community. I wanted it to be gender neutral. So everybody can be a jerk. Uh, and so it's resting jerk face to me now. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you bridging boundaries uh, abound here. It's just amazing. Okay. Uh, and the last one I wanted to get to 
comes back to something you brought up earlier, but I want to kind of dig deeper into it because I think it's profound. And it's perhaps now in the uh, top five of my favorite mashup words ever. And that's your use of the word positivity. But if you're just listening in on this, it's not positivity as you might suspect. It's positivity spelled P-A-U-S-I-T-I-V-I-T-Y. So tell us a bit about that positivity. And again, it's it's importance to aid and abet, you know, our sense of self and how we're, you know, um, wandering through both work and life. Well, you know, it, it comes down to a simple two-letter word, Dan. Um, and the, that word was okay. <laughs> and so what happened is there is this other term that's known as toxic positivity. Yeah. And again, you know, reach out to the customer service departments, reach out to the sales departments and, you know, ask them, Hey, how is everything going? It's like, Oh, it's amazing. It's great. We're, you know, we're out there. We're just doing amazing things. It's like, yeah, I looked at your numbers and you're not, you're, you're really not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where it came to for me, uh, um, my father was dying of brain cancer and my sister and I were, were caregivers for him as, for as long as we possibly could until the very last few days, um, maybe hours really more so of his life. And at one point in time, you know, at this point with his brain cancer, he was, he was spilling and he was slopping and he was making messes of things. And I can smile and sort of laugh about it now. And we say, Oh dad, it's okay. Dad, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Dad, it's okay. And he finally turned to me and said, Billy, it's not okay. I'm dying. And I went, Oh man, (laughs) talk about a, a, a wake up freaking moment. Like, I mean, ring the bell, set the alarm clock off, like wake up bill. And what I realized was that I was looking at it only through my lenses, only through my filters, only through my perspective. And when I practice positivity, and I want people to do this in the workplace, you know, uh, I I hope that not everybody goes through that, that I went through. And and, well, mind you, you know what, it was a pretty amazing circle of life um, to be caregiving for the person who care gave me and brought me up in this world, created me. But the point is that oftentimes we walk away from a meeting and we go, how dare they? Who do they think they are? You know, what about like what's going on? And we're angry with that other individual. And if we just press the pause button and I want people to rewind the circumstance of the situation and I want them to replay it again slowly in their own minds and look at it from that other perspective. Look at it because we I don't know your world. I don't know what happened to you this morning. You don't know what happened to me this morning. Mm. You know, here we are right now, but I don't know your world. And so how can we replay it looking for another perspective so that rather than walking away angry, taking energy away from us, being depleted, walking away, feeling fine, numb at the end of the day, can we look at it from a compassion perspective? And maybe think about what's happening in that person's world. You know, it was shortly after George Floyd was was murdered in the U.S. And Tyrone Edwards, who hosts a, a TV show here in Canada called E-Talk, uh, was on another program altogether. And somebody asked him how he was. And he said, I'm good. I'm good. And then he realized he wasn't good. And he sort of had a bit of a uh, an emotional, you know, a, a bit of a breakdown on the show. And he realized he was angry. Mm. But again, we're stifling our emotions. And when we stifle them, they will come through in other uh, potentially inappropriate ways. And so when you practice positivity, just really look at it from a new perspective and see what you can learn, not only about yourself, but about other human beings and have that compassion. Don't check up on people. Check in with them. 
as leaders, I think that's what we need to do. You know, when I ask you, Dan, how are you? It's important to really listen to the answer. And if it's appropriate to have eye contact, and, and that's not appropriate for all uh, religions and, and all different cultural backgrounds between especially men and women, but to, to try to really connect with people and check in with them. How are you today? Listen to that answer rather than just, we used to ask it and just keep walking down the corridors at work, right? Now it's, it's important that we check in. Well, after all, Bill, fine is not a feeling and it's not okay to just be okay. And I'm never going to thank you ever again. I will <laughs> hug you and provide recognition for a stellar career and please more of this. By the way, I, I wore my most electric shirt I could find uh, for this particular interview with you. And I know we've known each other for 15 years, but I, I after my paper route, my first job was at Wendy's, the competitor to McDonald's. Yeah, but I was I wanted to be the best fry guy on the planet. So it's like I always just wanted the feedback from people that the fries were good at Wendy's. Look at that. We just cosmic connection. And then we, you I went west, you went east, but somehow along the way we became friends. Okay, Bill, where can we find more out about uh you, Electric Life, and all that you do do in this great world? It's pretty simple, Dan. Just simply go to Bill G like George, actually G like Grant Williams.com, Bill G Williams.com. You'll find everything you need to know there and sign up for your very own electric bill. And uh, we'll get a newsletter to you just once a month. Uh, we won't send you too many bills, uh, but this one is one you might be looking forward to. So Bill G Williams.com is where to track me down. It's the best electric bill you can ever get because it's free people. It's free. <laughs> it adds value to you. I hope. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Uh, can't thank you enough, Bill. Honestly, the the recommendations in such a very progressive, passionate, and purposeful way that you've written about in the book, uh, it's just, it's exquisite stuff. And I, I say that as an author of books and reading a lot of books that are pretty crap, Electric Life is one of those that just can seriously help you become a better version of yourself, as you say in the book itself. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everyone, another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract, today, the incredible electric bill. See you next time, everyone. Thanks again.